Good morning. Now, if you are the sort that uh, likes to follow along in your bulletin, and uh, you've opened up and looked at the order of worship this morning, you notice that the font is probably only best read with a magnifying glass. Um, So if you can't read that because it's too small, I will not be offended. I will be encouraged if you walk out to the the foyer right now and get another Bible. There's a stack of Bibles out there with bigger font if you want to try to read it, and you can't read it in the order of worship, okay? Um, So don't hesitate to go grab it. Um, but maybe you can read it better than I can. It's, it's pretty small. But um, I, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 27 as we continue our series on uh, the life of Jacob in the book of Genesis. And we're not going to read the whole chapter, although I'm going to be making reference to some other things in the chapter that we don't read. So again, that's another good reason to have your Bible and, and, uh, and uh, um, to have it with you and to be able to follow along in there. This is all part of our, our ploy to just gently encourage you to bring a Bible to church. Um, but we're going to be looking at verses 5 29. And um, if you remember, we looked last week at chapter 25 at uh, the birth of Jacob and Esau. And um, we, one of the things you might remember is that God spoke to Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mom. And he said that uh, in spite of the custom of the day, which is that the older son would be the prominent one and would rule kind of over the family, that the, the older son would serve the younger son. Um, and God was going to switch up that order. Um, the, the younger son is the one who should receive the blessing um, that the father has to give. And, um, and, and so we get to chapter 27, and uh, the verses that we don't, we're not going to read here at the beginning is basically Isaac is now older, and he, he can't see very well anymore. And he calls his oldest son Esau, because that's his favorite son, he calls Esau into him, and he says, Esau, I want you to make me my favorite dish. I want you to go out and hunt some food and, uh, and make my favorite dish, and then I'm going to bless you. Um, and so this is what happens next, but uh, this whole chapter is kind of consumed with all of these people trying to grasp for this blessing that Isaac has to give to his son, all right? So listen to God's word as I read from Genesis 27, verses 5 to 29. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread with which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. 
Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, uh, he answered because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered him, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that, that as we seek blessing ourselves, as we seek fullness and happiness and favor and satisfaction, Father, we pray that you would help us, that you would open our eyes to what you offer us here in your word. Father, we pray that as we come to your word that you would help us to see more than anything else the goodness of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was kind of surprised to realize the past couple weeks um, that Mission Impossible 3 is possibly one of my favorite action movies of all time. Um, you know, there's a new Mission Impossible coming out, so um, a couple of us in our family have been re-watching some of the older ones, and, and we just watched Mission Impossible 3, and I was like, man, this might be like one of the five best action movies ever. Um, and you can, you know, argue with me afterwards if you want to, but you can also watch it, and uh, it's, it's pretty good. But uh, there's this one really awesome scene. There, basically, uh, it's, it's Tom Cruise, if you're not familiar with, with the movie, but Tom Cruise is, uh, is part of the impossible mission force, and in this movie, he's having to, to go get his hands on something called the rabbit's foot. Um, and the rabbit's foot, it, we, nobody really knows what it is, but it's some kind of maybe technology or some kind of weapon that will change the world forever. But the problem is the, the villain of the movie has Tom Cruise's wife as a hostage, and he says, I'm going to kill her if you don't get me the rabbit's foot in 48 hours. And so Tom Cruise is like doing everything he possibly can to try to get his hands on this rabbit's foot. And there's this incredible scene, like a, a heist scene, where he has to get into a building and get it. And the way that he does it, it's, it's in a skyscraper. And the only way for him to get into the skyscraper without being detected by all of the security down below is to jump off of a neighboring skyscraper and hold onto a rope and like swing like a pendulum all the way around the skyscraper and then land on the roof of the skyscraper he's trying to get into. And so he, he does it and he lets go and he lands with a thud on the roof and the roof is like really steep and he starts sliding down the roof and he's like trying to shoot the, all of the guards as he's sliding down and then he catches himself before he goes over the edge. And then you don't see him, he goes inside the building. You don't see what happens inside the building at all. But his accomplices, his, his team are down below in a truck and they're waiting for him to kind of jump off of the roof with a parachute. 
but apparently he can't get all the way to the roof, and all of a sudden they hear him on the radio. He's like, I've got it, I've got it. Look up, look up. And they look up, and they see one of the windows in the side of the, the skyscraper just shatter, and he jumps through the window, and he pulls the ripcord on his parachute, which he's not high enough, really, but his, his, he's trying to, like, hopefully his parachute's going to slow him down, and he's, like, tumbling through the sky of this city in the midst of all these skyscrapers, tumbling faster and faster towards the street, and the, uh, and the parachute finally gets caught on a lamppost, and it just saves him from, like, splattering on the, on the pavement, just like a foot above the pavement. But he's got this canister, right? He's got the rabbit's foot in his hand, and, and, when, he, and when it jerks him to a stop, he lets go. And so the canister starts rolling through the streets of this crowded city, and he you know, releases himself from his parachute, and then he starts sprinting through the city, dodging traffic. There's cars like crashing into each other. The canister is rolling, you know, always like, just slightly out of his grasp. Every time he, he almost reaches it, somebody like kicks it, and it goes another direction. And then like a, a gas truck like slides to a, 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 against the lamppost and explodes, and like, oh, there's all this chaos. And he's just doing everything he can just to scramble in order to get his hands on this rabbit's foot because he desperately, desperately needs it. And it's, it's just a really intense, intense scene. It's incredible to watch. But I think this is a picture of our lives in a way, in a sense. This is a picture of our lives. We, we're all desperate to get our hands on this thing that's going to make us feel satisfied and happy and full. We're, we're, we're all desperate to get our hands on this thing. We're scrambling for this one thing that's going to make us feel like our lives are blessed, that we have the favor of God upon our lives and life is good. We pack our schedules with things in order to try to lay hold of this blessing. We pour energy into, and our time into our work and we make all sorts of sacrifices in order to get this thing, this elusive thing that's gonna make our lives perfect and complete and good. We spend our money trying to lay hold of this thing. You know, spend our money on things that we think will, will make our lives perfect and good. And we spend our money on going on like exotic trips or vacations or whatever. I'm thinking that these things are gonna satisfy us and give us happiness. Um, I think that, that we're all scrambling, what we're all scrambling to lay hold of is at the heart of what everybody's scrambling to lay hold of in this chapter. Um, they're all scrambling, they're desperately trying to lay hold of this blessing that Isaac is going to give to his son. Um, now you might assume that this blessing that Isaac is getting ready to give is just come some kind of nice tradition that the people in that culture would do, right? The father would just bless the son and it was like a nice feel-good moment, but it was more than that. It was much more than that. It, when, when a father, as you looked at the blessings in the book of Genesis, when a father would bless his son, it was, um, part of it was kind of talking about, it, it, was, it was telling them what they would inherit, okay? So it was laying out the details of their, their inheritance. But it was even more than that. There was a prophetic aspect to the blessing where they were speaking God's words over this person's life so that, that their, their, their blessing really had um, the sense of, of God's presence and his power and his favor being placed upon this person in a real way, okay? And so this is why all of these guys, this is why Jacob and Esau are scrambling to get it. This is why Isaac wants to give it to his favorite son. This is why Rebecca wants her favorite son to have the blessing. It is the thing that's going to make their lives flourish, and be perfect and good, a reassurance of the fact that God is with them. 
and he's going to be good to them no matter what. And so everybody's scrambling for the blessing here. And uh, the thing about everybody's attempts here to get this blessing from Isaac, it's actually really ugly. This chapter is really ugly in the way that everybody goes about trying to get and give the blessing. And in that way, I think it also mirrors the way that we try to seek out and scramble for the blessing in our lives as well. Um, it's often ugly, just like it's ugly here. And uh, one thing that sticks out to me as I, as I read this chapter is that um, the pursuit of, of this blessing is incredibly dysfunctional. You know, if you look at this family, this family is not healthy at all, are they? There's, there's no health in their relationships in any way. I mean, one really subtle hint that their family is not in a, a very healthy place is that throughout this entire chapter, there's no moment when all four family members are together and things are good, right? Every single moment in this chapter is just one-on-one conversations between different family members, you know, behind each other's backs. And so you can tell already there's this kind of like fractured sense to the family, right? Um, but then you look at each individual person in this family and, and, and there's no one that comes out like looking really good in this story. None of them do. I mean, you look at Isaac, first of all. Um, it's impossible to, to believe that, you know, when, when God spoke to Rebekah in chapter 25 and said, the older son is going to serve the younger son, it's impossible to think that Isaac didn't know about God's words to Rebekah. Isaac knew that, that God had made a prophecy that the, that the younger son should be the prominent one. And yet, in spite of that, Isaac's like, I'm going to bless the older son, no matter what God says. And so he makes a plan, and he has Esau come to him. And, and the thing about Isaac as well, he seems to be ruled by what? By his stomach. I mean, that, that totally dictates how he's living his life um, he, he just wants some good food. He wants his favorite meal. And that's, how, that's what's dictating how he's interacting with his family and with his son, with both of his sons. All he wants is something good to eat. Um, he's ruled by his appetites. But then you look at Rebecca, and, and oh my gosh, Rebecca, as she's just like eavesdropping. I don't know if she's spying or what. She just happens to be walking by the tent and overhearing, whatever. She's eavesdropping, and she hears... Isaac's plan to bless his son Esau. And she's like, this can't happen. This can't happen. And then so she devises a plan of deceit to, to, to lie to her husband in order to, to and, and deceive her husband in order to get the blessing for Jacob, her favorite son. And, and then she, she, she pulls Jacob in into her plan and she kind of like, you know, forces it on him in a sense. Um, and then you have Jacob, I mean, kind of, like, this guy, can he just grow a backbone? I mean, can he just live according to some principles? Like, he's, he, his mother calls him in to say, like, let's do this. And he's like, it's not like he has a moral objection to what she's proposing. He's just like, but what if he finds out? I don't want to be cursed, you know. That, I, this, I mean, this sounds like an okay plan, but I just don't want to get in trouble. I mean, that's Jacob's philosophy. And, and then he just goes along with it. And then it's, it's you know, it's, it's so slimy the way he like, he like, you know, he dresses up in his brother's clothes and then he puts on the, the fur on the back of his hands and the back of his neck. I mean, Esau must have been a hairy dude, you know? <laughs> I mean, I'm probably gonna lose most of the congregation here, but he probably put George the Animal Steel to shame, if anybody knows who he is. But uh, 
he, he like puts all this stuff on it. Again, coming back to a Mission Impossible movie, all those Mission Impossible movies, they have a moment where they have this mask, you know? They, they make a mask of somebody where they're deceiving another person to try to trick somebody into, into getting into something or, or to getting to give them something. And, and this is like a Mission Impossible moment where he goes in, in disguise, right? And the suspense is ratcheted up when Isaac says, come near to me. You're like, oh my gosh. Jacob must have been like, he's gonna find out. He's gonna find out. And Jacob goes close to him and, uh, and Isaac feels him. He's like, well, he sounds like Jacob. I mean, Isaac, come on. He sounds like Jacob, but he feels like Esau. He smells like Esau. You know, all the senses are engaged. And, uh, and then, and then his, his father says, come near and kiss me, my son. And, and Jacob even draws near in the midst of his deceit and kisses his father as he lies to his face. Not only that, but he implicates God in this whole deceit, right? When Isaac's like, how did you get back so fast? And, and Jacob's like, well, God did it. You know, God brought me success. I mean, he's using God to try to get what he wants as well. And it's brutal. And, and then, I mean, we didn't read um, about Esau's response. If you want to read the rest of the chapter, I encourage you to um, later today. But, but when Esau finds out that Jacob has received the blessing, um, you can really tell that this family's dysfunctional because he, you know, he doesn't just get angry. He doesn't just, you know, like yell. He says, I'm gonna kill him. And he's not talking, he's not talking figuratively. He's like, I'm going to kill him. That's Esau's solution to the problem. You know, this is like a, a mob family. You know, this is kind of like something you see in The Godfather. I'm gonna kill this guy. I mean, there's, there's just so much dysfunction in the relationships here and the way that everybody is trying to get their hands on this thing that is going to make their lives good, their lives better, their lives full. But I think we're lying to ourselves if we think that our pursuit of blessing is any less dysfunctional. We are often, as Isaac is, ruled by our own appetites <laughs> by our longing for comfort or pleasure. We let that dictate how we approach life and what we try to pursue and what we lay hold of to try to make us happy, right? We manipulate people around us. We manipulate the people around us, even in our own families, in our marriages. We manipulate, you know, how should I say this in order to get them to do what I want them to do? I, we might not even think of it on that level. You know, we, we give people the silent treatment to get them to do what we want them to do to make us happy, to get what we want. We make people feel guilty in order to manipulate them. We say half-truths or we don't say the whole truth or we outright lie in order to stay in the good opinions of others in the workplace. Or maybe we embellish the truth or we exaggerate about things that have happened to us or things that we've done in order to make people be more impressed with us. Think that that's what will make us feel full and good and blessed. We use God. We use God. You know, uh, we, we come to church and sometimes we come to church and the primary reason we come to church is because it makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. Um, it helps us, you know, not feel as guilty about the ways that we failed. 
Just if we, if, we show, if we show up, it just makes me feel like, you know, I'm a better person. Or maybe we volunteer and we, and we do certain things to serve others and, and we do it to, just to make ourselves feel a little bit better about ourselves instead of coming to church because we long for more of God. Because we love him. You know, we use him and the religious things that he, you know, encourages us to do just to feel a little bit better about our lives. We are dysfunctional in the ways. What, what, what are, in the ways that you're pursuing happiness in your life, you know, how is the dysfunction working itself in, out in, in the way that you pursue it? But that, that brings me to the fact that uh, our search for blessing also, as well as being dysfunctional, it can be incredibly destructive. And, and that's what you see here. There's a lot of destruction here in this chapter um, as a result of their dysfunctional pursuit of the blessing. There's a ton of destru- destruction. Number one, Jacob and Esau, their relationship, which wasn't good to begin with, is obliterated as a result of this, right? It's destroyed. Um, Isaac's, I don't know what status it was before, but I mean, how could Isaac possibly trust Rebecca and Jacob ever again after this? His sense of trust and their relationship is destroyed. Um, I think of Jacob, it's interesting, in, in chapter 25, it describes Jacob, if you remember, it described Esau as being like a man of the outdoors, like a guy who liked to be out in the fields, and, and Jacob, how did it describe him? He was quiet, and he liked to be among the tents. He was like a homebody. He, liked, he was most comfortable when he was at home. I can really relate to that. But what happens to Jacob at the, at the end of this? He ends up being, you don't see this in this passage, but as you read through the end of the chapter, what ends up happening is Rebekah sends him away. He runs, he has to, he, he, he's sent away from his home, the place where he's most safe and most comfortable. He has to live his life now away from home. You know? Like me, being a, being a person who's most comfortable at home, that's like, like thinking about having to live my life for, forever in hotels, you know, going from hotel, smelly hotel to smelly hotel. Um, that sounds exhausting and depressing. You know, it's, it's kind of like an introvert being asked to, to live their life, you know, where they have to just be an extrovert all the time. It's brutal. Or maybe an extrovert being have to, have to live their life in isolation. It's depressing. It's, it's, it's very destructive for, for Jacob. And, and then think of Rebecca, her favorite son, the son that she loves more than anything else. She loses him. All of this attempt to get a blessing for him, she ends up having to send him away and she never sees him again. She dies before he comes back. Think about all the destruction here that happens as a result of this dysfunctional pursuit of the blessing. And again, our dysfunctional pursuit of blessing, of, of happiness, of fullness, it often leads to destruction in our own lives as well. Friendships can be destroyed because of our f- selfish grasping after what we think we want. Marriages are strained and destroyed because you know they're, they're just not giving me what I need, what I want. I'm most consumed with what I think I need rather than serving the other. Or by manipulating each other and trust being destroyed. Or by anger at one another when they block what we think will give us happiness. 
on that, in that particular moment. We can destroy our children. We can warp their sense of self-image and their perspective of the world because we put all of the weight of our blessing upon them. Thinking that my blessing is dependent, my fullness, my satisfaction, my value is dependent on them and how much they are able to succeed or how much they actually love me. And we can crush our kids because we do that. Um, we, we even, you know, we destroy all these things without even meaning to, without even thinking about it. And we can destroy our own lives, I think, losing things that are important and vital to us because we're so desperately trying to achieve our blessing. Sacrificing things that are important because we're giving ourselves, we're, we're, we're trying to, to grab hold of the wrong things. There's all sorts of destruction that happens in our own lives because of our dysfunctional pursuit of this one thing that will make us full. So you would think with all of this dysfunction and the way that they relate and all of the, the destruction that they cause that certainly this family, out of any family uh, that, that you know, could hope to have some kind of blessing in their life, that this family should certainly be disqualified, right? Have they, haven't they disqualified themselves from, from receiving the blessing of God upon their lives? Um, I, I would think that if they were auditioning for God to bless them, they would have completely, completely failed the audition. I, I love listening to, uh, to actors and movie stars talk about auditions that they've gone on for famous movie roles and that, that, that they've totally messed up the audition. Um, it's, it's always kind of fun to listen to them, you know, because you think oh, everything's always great in their lives, but you don't realize how many, how many times they, they mess up when they try to audition for stuff and they disqualify themselves. Um, I was listening to um, Jake Gyllenhaal, if you know who he was, or he is. He, uh, he apparently auditioned for the role of Frodo in Lord of the Rings, believe it or not. And, uh, and for part of the audition, the, the very first thing they had him do is they had him, because the, the relationship with the ring, this all-powerful ring in the movie is, is so crucial, all they wanted him to do was like walk up to a box with a ring in it and like react to it, you know, and see how he did. And he was like, you know, so he just, he just kind of walked up to the box and just like pulled out the ring. He's like, is this good? You know, <laughs> he's like, he realized he was like not doing the right thing. And then, and then they finally gave him some lines to read and, uh, and he started reading the lines from the movie and, and, uh, and uh, the director, Peter Jackson was like, didn't anybody tell you you're supposed to be doing this with a British accent? He was like, no. And, uh, and Peter Jackson actually said to him, you are the worst actor I've ever seen in my life. And you should fire your agent, you know? And, uh, and he's just like, oh, well, you know, he just destroyed his, any opportunity he had at, at being deserving, being worthy of the role. There's another, another great story by, uh, by John Krasinski, who plays Jim in The Office, who is actually auditioning for the role of um, Captain America in the Marvel movies. And, uh, and he tells a story about this one point where he, he's like getting really far along in the auditions to the point where they actually asked him to try on the Captain America suit. And he was like so excited to try on the Captain America suit. And so he said, he's like, he's like getting it on. He's like stepping into it. He's like pulling it on. He's like about halfway on. And he looks up and Chris Hemsworth, who plays Thor, walks by in his Thor costume and his arms are like massive and there's like muscles bulging on top of the muscles and, and he's like just this huge guy and John Krasinski's kind of like generally normal looking, you know? And, uh, and, and Chris Hemsworth just walks by, he's like, looking good, mate. And John Krasinski's just like, never mind, you know? Like, 
I do not deserve to wear the Captain America you know, costume. I'm not worthy of it. And I think this is how often all of us look at, the, at blessing, at, at this blessing that God offers to give of, of favor and love and, and satisfaction and fullness. We look, at, we look at it as if I need to be worthy of it. I, I need to be deserving of it. I know it for a fact because I've heard, often heard people be like, I just, you know, I just, I just doubt. I, I know that I'm not worthy of God really caring, of God really being kind. And I feel it in my own heart, you know, as I look at my own life and I see areas where I'm like, I'm not, I'm not measuring up. You know, and I look around and I'm trying to put the Christian suit on. And I look around, and I'm like, oh, never mind. When I see other people. This is how I think we think of happiness and fulfillment. We have to be worthy of it. We have to earn it. And certainly, we've disqualified ourselves from it. Speaking of Captain America, there's this great scene. Um, sorry, if you haven't seen it. You, I mean, in, Aven- in Avengers Endgame, you know, the, the, speaking of Thor as well, you know, he's got his hammer and there, it's been enchanted so that only those who are worthy can actually pick up the hammer. And there's this awesome scene in, the, in Avengers Endgame when, when the hammer goes flying through the air and it goes past Thor's head and then you're like, where is it going? And then all of a sudden Captain America is there and he catches it, you know? And the scene is so amazing because nobody else can like pick the thing up, but all of a sudden you're like, of course Captain America is worthy to carry the hammer. And when that happens in the movie theater, we saw in the movie theater, like the whole, the whole crowd just erupts, you know? It's like so amazing. And, uh, and I, I saw like somebody posting, you know, this is why Captain America is worthy because when he, before he became Captain America, before they injected him with like the super serum, the strength, the, uh, the strong super serum, he was a scrawny little guy and he was like in basic training with, with the other soldiers in the army and somebody dropped a grenade and everybody else is running for cover and he jumps on the grenade, sacrificing himself to save everybody else, you know. So of course he's worthy. Of course he's worthy. But, but as we look at our own lives, you know, none of us, we know that we've all disqualified ourselves just like this whole family has disqualified themselves. But this, this is the good news. Because in spite of the fact that there's this dysfunctional pursuit of the blessing and, and Jacob is the worst of them all and, and there's all this destruction, as you continue reading the story of Jacob, first of all, Jacob receives the blessing here, doesn't he? And as you look at Jacob's life, there's definitely ups and downs and there's you know, difficult moments, but he is blessed by God. In spite of the fact that he doesn't deserve it. In spite of the fact that he's disqualified himself for it. The good news is that the blessing of God and his favor is only for those who've disqualified themselves. No matter how much you feel like you've disqualified yourself from the love of God and his goodness, you are precisely the one that God wants to pour it out upon. And all you need to do is believe it and receive it. One significant thing to notice is that in all of this dysfunctional behavior, Jacob, at least Jacob, had a sense that what he was doing deserved a curse, right? He had a sense of the fact that what he was doing was wrong. 
because he knew that if his father found out in verse 12, he's like, if my father finds out, what if he's gonna curse me instead of bless me? Of course he would curse me if he finds out this is what I'm doing. He had a sense of the fact that what he was doing was wrong and that he deserved to be cursed for it. And then what does his mom say to him right after that? She's like, Jacob, relax. I will take responsibility. If he curses you, let the curse fall upon me. See, the problem is, Rebecca didn't have that kind of power. (laughs) Rebecca doesn't have the kind of power to let the curse that Isaac pronounces on Jacob to fall upon her. She can't do that. If Jacob was cursed by his father, he would have been in trouble. But this is the good news of the rest of the Bible, is that there is one who does have that power. There is one who has the power to transfer the curse that we deserve onto himself. And you could say that in a sense, he is the greater Rebecca, that is Jesus. Jesus is the greater Rebecca that's, that's able to, to say, let the curse fall on me. That is what he did on the cross. In Deuteronomy 21, there's a verse that talks about how anybody who is hung on a tree is to be cursed. It's part of the law of God. Anybody who's hung on a tree is cursed. And, and Paul picks up that same theme, that same idea in the book of Galatians in chapter three, when he says, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And then he quotes that, that line where it says, for anybody who's hung on a tree is cursed. That is what Jesus did on the cross. He took upon himself the curse that we deserve because we've disqualified ourselves from the blessing. And because Jesus took, himself, took upon himself the curse that we deserve, we are able then to receive the blessing that we are all scrambling to try to get. And that is the good news. We don't have to scramble to get it. We don't have to force others to give it to us. We don't have to manipulate others into getting it. All we need to do is to receive what Jesus has done for us. That's how we get the blessing. That's how we get the assurance that God is with us and that he's only gonna do good and that because of that, our lives will flourish. That is the challenge for us. Instead of scrambling, sit and receive what he has done. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for this, um, this passage.